0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Great to have you here today. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis, and we're excited that you are here with us today. Uh, We've got a nice full room. We know we probably have some visitors here as well, so a special welcome to you. Anything that we can do to help you, please uh, be sure to let us know. I'm I'm a little disappointed, caught off guard, that the uh, little, uh, what is it called? The The xylophone, yes, it's gone. I was going to open with a number this morning, and I guess uh, we'll just kind of go without, but uh, fun having the jazz band here with us today. Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 2, if you would. Uh, We were there last week. We're going to spend some time there again this week, Matthew chapter 2. We're going to walk through some verses today. Before we do that, I just want to tell you about a couple of things that are coming up. First of all, next Sunday is going to be a very special service for us Uh, We'll be doing our regular worship gathering just like we do every week at 10 a.m. So at 10 a.m. next Sunday, uh, we're going to kick it up a notch uh, with it being the Christmas season. We're calling next Sunday our Christmas service, and we're kind of tying everything into next Sunday. And so we want to invite you to come and uh, to bring your friends and family. Uh, This is a great season. There may be some people in your life who don't regularly attend worship for whatever reason, but on on a Sunday like the Sunday prior to Christmas, They might be a little more open to coming, so invite them to come with you. Invite your family and friends, and we're going to have a great service of worship and celebration uh, next Sunday as we remember the birth of Christ. Uh, We're doing that, Uh, we're putting everything into kind of one basket because this year we are not going to do a Christmas Eve service. But instead, what we are going to do, and you may or may not realize, but typically, uh, Genesis has not had worship services the Sunday after Christmas. Uh, We've always kind of taken that Sunday off just to kind of give a break to volunteers and with everything that's happening in the season and people traveling and such. Well, we decided we would rather do worship on both Sundays this year and rather than trying to do three services in one week uh, because that would exhaust some people. We'll do two. And so, services next Sunday, we're going to celebrate Christmas together, so come back and be a part of that, no services on Christmas Eve, and so be with your families, Uh, maybe attend another service in the area or wherever you will be, but then be back here with us again on Sunday, December 28th uh, for our regular worship gathering, we're excited about that. One last thing, and we're going to talk about this a lot over the weeks to come, and that is we've been talking somewhat about the fact that in January, we're going to be moving to two worship services. And on Sunday, January 25th, that's the day, that's the date that we've set, we're going to be moving from one regular worship service to two services, two identical services that will take place at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. So everyone's going to have to make a decision. You know, no one can kind of just go with the flow or just stay in the pattern. You'll have to make a decision whether 9 a.m. is best for you or 10.45 a.m. is best for you. Now, you might be looking around the room and saying, "Why? Well, I see some empty seats. We've still got rows up front and seats all throughout the room, and we could probably put a few more chairs in here It's greater than that. If we were all to get up out of here right now and walk over to the children's space, you would find that there are some kids bouncing off the walls at the moment uh, because there are so many kids in the room. And that's a great thing. That's a great problem to have, and we're very excited about it. We're also concerned with the fact that some of our volunteers are serving every Sunday in Gen Kids, which we appreciate, but they don't get to do worship. And so we are moving to two services for multiple reasons. One, we believe God's going to continue blessing this church, and that in this next year, we're going to grow. But we also know that our children's space is going to grow. We've got—if you haven't noticed—a lot of pregnant women walking around this place, and so uh, great things are happening. All families are happy here at Genesis, you know. But uh, so we know that our children's ministry is going to keep growing, and so that's why on Sunday, January twenty-fifth, we're moving to two services, and we're excited about that. We're excited about the in-between time that we can still have in the gathering area and the cafe, uh, getting to know each other, catching up, and maybe. Maybe you haven't been serving because you're just like, hey, I need worship every week. And no one can argue that with you. And uh, if you had to kind of take a step back for a while, this might be an opportunity to get plugged back in, uh, knowing that you've got two different hours now that you can serve. So we're excited about it. We're excited about the future and all the things that are going to happen. In a couple of weeks, we're going to spend some time during our teaching time just talking about what 2009 looks for us uh, as a church. And I'm real excited about that. So we'll talk more about that. But again, next Sunday, uh, come back. Christmas service should be a good time. Matthew 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and go there now. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, this verse tells us right away that Jesus is born. He has already been born. Now, Matthew doesn't spend a lot of time breaking down the specifics of Jesus' birth. Others do. For example, if you go to the Gospel of Luke, you'll find he spends more time actually focusing on this birth of Christ. But when we reach Matthew chapter 2, the writer makes it very clear that Jesus was born and that he was living with his family in Bethlehem. Now, there are varying opinions regarding how old Jesus was at this time. Some say that he might have been a few months old. Others think that he might have been as old as a couple of years. But he's living in Bethlehem with his family. Now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We all know that. We can all come to agreement with that. Uh, The Bible says that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was this small town located on the southern side of Jerusalem, about five or six miles outside of the city, once called Ephrata. Uh, it is referred to that name uh, in special or in several occasions in the Old Testament Uh, one of the more popular being Micah chapter 5 verse 2 Micah writes but you Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old from ancient times and so 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ Micah, an Old Testament prophet, prophesied that Jesus Christ would be born in this tiny village, this tiny town, of Bethlehem. And it wasn't like Bethlehem won out in the bidding like cities do with the Olympics, you know, that they they put in their vote, you know, with God to see if they could somehow qualify to get the Savior. It had nothing to do with having this lavish neonatal unit, you know, at Bethlehem General Hospital. I mean, it was all for a reason. There were roots in Bethlehem. There was a purpose for Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Jacob buried his wife, Rachel, in Bethlehem. Ruth met her husband Boaz in Bethlehem. David grew up and tended sheep in Bethlehem. You know, David was anointed king of Israel in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem is the city of David. And the Bible teaches that the Messiah would come from this little town on the outskirts of Jerusalem, this little town called Bethlehem. Now, looking again at Matthew 2.1, it says that uh, all this happened during the time of King Herod. And then we get this group of funny guys, the Magi, it says, from the east, Came to Jerusalem. Now the word magi is short for the word magician. Okay, it's where we we have our word magician. Well, a shorter form is this word magi. And we are not told the number of magi that came. We are not told their names. Uh, we are not told by what means of transportation they traveled to Jerusalem or what specific country or even countries these men came from. But here is what we know about the magi: they were skilled in astronomy. They were skilled in astrology and sorcery. They were known for their ability to interpret dreams. These men were famous for being skilled and educated in science and math and agriculture and history and religion. They were very intelligent, and therefore, they were known as the wise men. That's why they, that's where they get their name. Some translations use the word, the original word magi or magi. Wise men. These are the wise men. These are the smart guys. And while we don't know the specific area from which they came, historical records align them with the Babylonian empire. In fact, and here's what I think is real fascinating about this, the magi can be traced all the way back to the Old Testament to the days of Daniel. And if you recall, uh, long before Rome, the Babylonian empire ruled the world. And in 586 B.C., the Babylonians invaded Israel and defeated the nation of Israel and exiled as many people as it could from Israel back to the, uh, the nation of Babylon. And they took these men and they took these women with them back to, back to Babylon. But among this group, among these, these exiles, were four men. Four men, one Daniel, and then the other Shadrach. Meshach, and Abednego. You might remember studying about them in Sunday school. But these four were very faithful men. They were very faithful to God. Well, because of their faith, when they arrived back in Babylon, they were severely tested, severely tested for what they believed and and who they followed. And refusing to bow down to the Babylonian idols, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And God delivered them from the fiery furnace and spared their life And they continued on. God protected them. Daniel refused to quit praying to his God when he was ordered to. And because of his unwillingness to give in, to relent, he was thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible teaches us that God delivered him and protected him and spared him from this lion's den. And he was saved. Well, Daniel was an especially smart guy, and if you study the book of Daniel, if you even look at the first few chapters, you'll find that he was close enough to the king because he was smart, he was brilliant, he was very intelligent, he was very respected uh, for who he was. And God had given Daniel this great wisdom and these abilities to interpret dreams. And on one particular occasion, Daniel was called before King Nebuchadnezzar to help interpret his recurring dream, and Daniel did. And the Bible says that as payment for his wisdom, look what King Nebuchadnezzar did for him. Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. We've got it on the screen. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Daniel was promoted head of the Magi, nearly 700 years before the birth of Christ. And and what does any great leader do? Because Daniel was faithful to his God. He was held in high regard and esteem in Babylon. And and he was this great man of influence. He influenced the king. He influenced the wise men. And as their leader, he most likely taught them the scriptures, possibly Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, which says, I see him, but not now, I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Isn't that awesome? I just think that's absolutely fascinating. There's one key word that comes to mind when I think about Daniel, and it's this word, influence. It's about rubbing off on people do you have any idea how much you can influence someone else? That that 700 years before, or 600 years before the birth of Christ, Daniel lived with such integrity and passion and desire to be faithful to his God that he was influential all over the place. I mean, it was just spewing out of him. And 600 years later, A group of men would watch a star rise out of this place in Israel, and they would remember and recall what Daniel had taught them. And it was in this moment that God worked and moved in them to go chase after the Savior being born in Israel. Friends, we have so much influence, or we can have so much influence on people around us. In your workplace right now, especially during this season, You know, as you live differently, as you live with uh, passion, as you live uh, with desire for your king, for your savior, Jesus Christ, do you know that that can rub off on other people? Or in your school, you know, as you interact with your friends on your college campus. I mean, the way that you choose to live and the decisions that you choose to make, you can have a great amount of influence on someone else. And you might not change their life, but someone else might come along at some point in history, and they might be that person who will help to lead them to just the place where they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. Moms and dads, do you realize how much influence you have on your children? You know, especially as we talk about kind of setting Christmas right and, and getting out of this pattern of it all being about gifts and, and, and marketing and profits to just say, let's be reminded of the real reason for Christmas and his birth and, and making different decisions about how you, you spend your money and the gifts that you choose to give. We can have a great amount of influence this Christmas season as we remember Jesus Christ and what he has done for us As we choose him and remember that he changes everything, we can be difference makers just as Daniel was. Back to the book of Matthew, verse 2. So these wise men arrive, they travel there and they ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And so the wise men went looking for this, this king, not Herod, but the child, the one sent from heaven with a special purpose. The Magi believed that the stars communicated news of of great events or of new beginnings. And this event was like no other. The Bible tells us that this unusual yet brilliant star appeared in the sky and the wise men or the Magi chased after it. Some suggest that their trip may have taken months. Others have said it could have taken a couple of years. That's dedication. Dedication. This famous star, you know, has captured more than just the attention of the wise men. I mean, we, you know, it's a traditional Christmas decoration. We, we put them up on our TV antennas, and businesses hang them over their buildings. But I thought it'd be interesting to take a look at a few of the most uh, famous stars today. This first star that I want to show you is Alpha Centauri. We're going to do a little astronomy lesson here. Alpha Centauri is a famous star. It's the closest and most visible star aside from the sun. Centauri is 4.24 light years away from the Earth. And if anyone can explain light years to us to the point where we can understand it, uh, that'd be helpful. I'll show you another star. This is another famous star or a group of stars. This is called the Great Nebula Orion. It's a constellation of stars. Stars are huge balls of gas and. The, the light and the heat emitted from stars are because of continual nuclear reactions that are taking place on the surface. Now, we might ask, well, how many stars are there? Have you ever wondered how many stars there are? Well, scientists estimate that on any given clear night that you can see approximately anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 stars at one time. Well, stars are contained within galaxies. We live in the Milky Way galaxy Scientists estimate, believe that there are anywhere from 50 billion to 200 billion galaxies with as many as 100 billion stars to the 100 billionth power in each galaxy. And anyone who can do the math on that and understand what they're saying before we end service today, I'll buy your lunch, okay? This third star, this third famous star, uh, set of stars, is called the Horsehead. This is an actual picture. This, I think so. This formation of stars is so far away that, get this, this this just blows me away. It takes 1,500 years for the light from these stars to travel to the earth. 1,500 years for the light from these stars to travel to the earth. That's how far away uh, they are. The next set of stars, another famous star, the Pleiades, uh, the Pleiades can be seen without binoculars. You, you see them most of the time at night. Well, obviously. Uh, they're also known as the Seven Sisters. Uh, the Pleiades is one of the brightest at night. This next one, another set of famous stars, is the Lagoon Nebula. Let's see the next famous star. It's Gary Coleman. <laughs> Gary Coleman was the famous star of Different Strokes, played Arnold. What you talking about, Willis? All right. Did you like that? I've been waiting all week to share that one with you. All right. And the next one is the Crab Nebula. This star formation is six light years wide, in and of itself, six light years wide. Now, people have been looking into the sky for thousands of years. God gave the wise men this star, and it's not known whether it was an already existing star or some natural phenomenon that took place. Some say that God may have chosen to use an angel or a group of angels instead to communicate to the wise men to get them on their move. We don't really know. Here's what we know. Something happened in this group of men that moved in them so powerfully to put aside everything that was normal in their life and to go chasing after the possibility that there was someone in Bethlehem worth knowing worth living for. And this morning, I don't know where you are spiritually. I mean, maybe you grew up in church and you fell away, and you've had a hard time getting back into it, but you're here this morning. Or maybe you're smarter than all of this, and all you know is that you have a ton of questions that you need answered. Or maybe you've been let down by someone over and over again, and you aren't sure if you can trust this news about Jesus. But the crazy thing about it is that you want to. And when you're honest with yourself, you know that you want to believe that there is something out there, there, there is truth, and that Jesus did come. Can I give you some advice? You know, to those of you that may be in that place, can I just say something to you this morning, to those of you that are looking for answers to your questions? Don't give up. Keep searching. Keep searching. Keep looking. Feel permission to come back here week after week until your questions are answered, until you feel like you've got it figured out. Get into a small group. Find ways to get around some people who can help you walk through all of this. Keep searching because God is faithful and he will get you where you need to be so that you too can see Jesus with your own eyes and believe that he's there and that he's real. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 29 says, But if, there, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you search with him with all your heart and your soul. And that was the case with these magi. Matthew chapter 2 verse 3. It says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Why? Well, as we learned last week, Herod was a psycho. And they knew that he would go to great lengths to maintain his power and his throne. It says, when he called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where Christ was to be born. And so he got his smart religious guys together to advise him, to ask them questions about the birth of this child. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people. That's Micah 5.2. That's the verse that we read in the very beginning. This situation, Herod, the scribes and the priests, they point to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. They looked back to the scriptures and they believed them to be true. And so they went there for evidence to see when and where the Son of God would be born. And Bethlehem marked the spot. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, we're not stupid. And the wise men weren't stupid either. They, they knew what was going on here. They knew they had heard the reputation of this man, and they knew his ulterior motives. It's almost as if Herod was saying, hey, you, know, you, you go find where the child is. You, you greet him, and then I'll just kind of sweep in behind and, and drop off a gift, drop off a meal uh, too. But here's what's most interesting. Take note of the reaction of the chief, priests and the scribes I mean, these guys had given their life to studying the scriptures they were waiting for the messiah and while they proved that they knew what the word of god said about the birth of a child they took zero interest in going for themselves to bethlehem to see what had happened in their opinion this couldn't be the one i mean this couldn't be the jesus that they had been waiting for and do you know that that uh, was the difficulty for so many Jews during Jesus' lifetime, and, and, and even today, I guess, is, is their ability to just not accept Jesus. It wasn't who they had anticipated. They were looking for something else. They were waiting for something else. Jesus was not who they thought he would be. They thought he would be, they wanted a militaristic leader who would conquer Rome and reestablish Israel as this national power. They wanted an earthly king. And they had Jesus all wrong. And the question that I want to ask you this morning is, do you have Jesus all wrong? I mean, when you think about Jesus as the Son of God, what types of emotions stir in you? Have your impressions of Jesus helped or hindered your relationship with God? I mean, look at it this way. If if you had a difficult relationship with your father, maybe he was abusive. You hear us talk about what it means for for Jesus Christ, for God to be your father, and you can't process that. You you just can't imagine a loving father when yours was so destructive. Or if when you look at your life, you can trace this life of, of disappointment, maybe you have a difficult time believing that you can trust Jesus, that if he is good, that if he is real, why has he allowed you to walk through all of this junk? Or if you see Jesus as just simply the one who casts people into hell or to heaven, maybe it's difficult to see him as this loving God who gave his life. Well, I remember baptizing a young woman back a few years ago, and I couldn't understand why her baptism was such an emotional time for her. I believe baptism's a big deal. When somebody's baptized, they're publicly saying that, I trust Jesus. I've made him the Lord of my life. And as we prepared uh, for this person's baptism, I mean, she, just, she, she was just emotional. It was so difficult for her to talk about it, and she anticipated it and was so excited about it. But it had all started to come together when she shared with me her story. You see, Kelly had grown up in the church. Uh, she knew nothing but the church. It had been her life. And when she got into high school and then went into college, she made some some poor decisions and she ended up pregnant. And her mom and dad just couldn't deal with it. They couldn't deal with what was going to happen to them publicly when when everyone found out or what Kelly was going to have to go through. And so they forced her to make a decision that she has always regretted. And her mom, literally, as she described to me, it was almost as if she and her dad forced her into the car to take her to the abortion clinic. And when they arrived at this abortion clinic with Kelly just an absolute mess emotionally, you know, being brainwashed and convinced that this was the right decision to make, as they walked into this clinic, there just happened to be a group of Christian protesters that day. And Kelly remembers how humiliating it was to walk before these people into this clinic on this particular day as they threw things at her. And she said, One person threw a sandwich and it hit me right in the face. And the rest of the day is a blur to her, and I know that she wishes she could go back and make some different decisions. But for so long, she had a difficult time accepting Jesus as this person who would love her because of the impressions that were somehow formed in her through this horrible experience and through some others around her that it just made it so difficult to believe that Jesus was good and that he loves us. But it all changed for her. Because you see, she had Jesus all wrong. And I wonder, do you have Jesus all wrong? I mean, have others wrongly represented Him or caused you to think negatively towards Jesus? Well, maybe this morning's just a morning when you say, you know what, I'm, I'm starting over. I'm starting over and and you're going to pray and you're going to ask God to to remove those wrong impressions from your mind and let Jesus be Jesus and ask Him to reveal Himself to you. And I trust that He will. But we get a chance to see who Jesus really is in these last verses. Look at Matthew chapter 2 again, verse 9. It says, After they had heard the king... The magi they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star they were overjoyed. On coming to the house they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route. And so the star guides them to this exact place. Uh, They've arrived, and it's like they finally made it. You know, it's like you're driving to Florida for vacation, and you're so excited when you arrive. Now imagine doing it on a camel or a horse. They're overjoyed to get off the saddle. The text says that they were overjoyed, that God was right, that He was faithful, that all of these events added up to this moment. And the text tells us that they fell, and they bowed to their knees, and they worshiped the child. And it also says that they brought gifts. And it wasn't uncommon to give gifts then. It's not uncommon to give gifts today for a new baby. The Bible says that they gave three gifts. And these three gifts are symbolic. The first one that they gave was the gift of gold. Gold was the gift of a king. You would never approach the king without a gift. And gold was the most appropriate gift for a king. And Jesus was unlike any other king that had ever lived. There had never been anyone like him before this time, and there's been no one like him since. Jesus does not reign by force. He reigns by love. He, he does not rule because of a throne, but instead he rules because of a cross. And what does it mean for Jesus to be king? It does not mean that we can come to him on equal terms You know, you would never barge into the presence of a king uninvited. And we can't go before God on these equal terms either. Instead, we must enter into the presence of God with submission and respect. And if you've been wanting to get to know God, if you've been wanting to get to know his son Jesus, or at least get to know him better, why not try and go before him, with an attitude of submission, of, God, I am am nothing before you, but you have done so much for me. I I can't do this without you. I've been trying to do this life thing myself. You are my God. Will you help me? We find this help in the next gift. The second gift that the wise men gave was the gift of frankincense frankincense was a gift for a priest uh, the sweet sweet smell of this gift uh, could be smelled in the temple if you went to the temple you smelled this this gift this incense called frankincense and the function of the priest in the temple was to open the way to god for men and women the latin word here is the word pontifex it's where we get the word pontificate it means bridge builder that Jesus Christ is the priest. He is the one who builds a bridge to God. One of the things that you might remember that made Sarah Palin an interesting candidate for vice president in this past election was her drive and her willingness to stand up to wasteful spending in the state of Alaska. She became famous for opposing what has been become known as the Bridge to Nowhere, uh, this proposed $400 million bridge uh, from Ketchikan, Alaska to Gravina Island, an island with 50 residents, was considered by many as a waste of taxpayers' money. And so many stood up to it, and in 2005 it was removed. It, it never happened. Where is your life leading right now? Uh, when you look ahead into the future, is, is there a destination is there a place that you can feel confident in that you're going? Jesus leads to somewhere. And, and He is like this bridge to God for us. And because of His death and His sacrifice and His resurrection, we can know God too. He is our bridge builder. And we can therefore have a relationship with God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men and women. And so Jesus as our priest, Jesus our, as our bridge builder has opened the way to God and he's made it possible for you and I to have a relationship with God. The final gift that the wise men gave to this baby, to Jesus, was the gift of myrrh. And myrrh is the gift for the one who is going to die. They used myrrh back during these times to embalm bodies. It was a recognizable scent, much like frankincense, but different situation. Can you imagine the shock that went through Mary's body as she opened this bottle to smell the myrrh? the smell of death. And while I am sure that she knew what this son of hers had come to the earth to do or had a sense of what was going to take place at some point in the future, imagine the shock that ran through her as she she smelled this. Jesus came to earth to die. It was his sole mission. It was his only purpose. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him will never perish but have eternal life. We miss verse 17 in that at times. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but what did God send His Son into the world to do but to save the world through Him? Jesus came on mission. Jesus came on purpose He came to save men and women. And that's where I want to stop this morning. And let's let that be this place where we just stop and we reflect. The Bible says that when these wise men had traveled all this way, finally arrived at this home, this place in Bethlehem, and saw the king and saw Jesus, that they were absolutely overjoyed. I was reading the other day that that word overjoyed can't possibly describe the emotion that was taking place. It is the best word that they can come up with in the Greek language to best describe what was felt at that moment. They were overjoyed. They knelt and they worshiped and they gave gifts to the king. And so I want to leave you with this question. What does the thought of Jesus stir in you this morning? When you see him, when you picture him before you, what does that do to you? And what do you need to give to him? Would you give him a gift? Would you give him your life? Could you be so moved by who he is and what he came for that you'd give him your life? I'd love to talk with you about that this morning and I'd love for you to think about what that means to you now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world for us. That he loved us so much that he gave his life so that we might live. And this morning, as we reflect on this, Lord, I just pray that every one of us in our own place and in our own lives, Lord, can just stop and take a moment and ask, what does the thought of Jesus do to me? What can he do for me? And what can I give him? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.